we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Nationalism breeds disorder. War breeds disorder. Religions breed disorder. So civilised man will not accept sovereign governments. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is nationalism. Upcoming themes are the present, control and wisdom. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on nationalism has three sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Rajgat in 1965, titled As long as we have nationalistic, separate governments, we are bound to have wars. Europe has divided itself into many sovereign states, (coughs) fighting each other, tearing at each other, for more proper land, for greater economic expansion, and so on. Wars. They have had two tremendous destructive wars within the memory of man, recent wars. And nationalism has divided people, the Englishman, the Frenchman, the Italian, and now you you are becoming, in this country, nationalistic also. It is hoped through nationalism human beings can be united, worshipping the same flag, a piece of cloth that has no meaning. Please don't laugh. Please don't... This is not... Uh, rhetorical or amusing, entertaining gathering. We are very serious. We are concerned with immense problems. And 
war has brought disorder in the world. War is always destructive. There is never a righteous war. And there have been, within the recorded history of mankind, I believe something like 14,600 wars and more. And within the last 40, since 45, 1945, there have been 40 wars. The first war, the people must have said, let's hope this will be the last war. The mothers, <coughs> wives, husbands, children must have cried. And we're still crying after these 5,500 years. People have accepted war as the way of life. And here, in this country, you are, you are also accepting war as the way of life. More armaments, more generals, more soldiers, and as long as you have sovereign governments that is, nationalistic, separate governments, sovereign governments with their armies, you're bound to have wars. You may not have a, your son killed in this, at Benares, but you'll have a son killed in Vietnam, whether it's an American or a Vietnamese. So, as long as there are sovereign governments, there must be war. And what is a man to do who says, I will not kill? You understand? In this country, for generations upon generations, Certain class of people have been brought up not to kill, not to hurt an animal, a fly. And all that is gone. They'll write volumes about spiritual inheritance of India. But the actual fact is that we have destroyed all that inheritance. We are just verbally repeating something which is not real. So we have two issues involved. 
what is a human being to do in a country like this or in Europe or in America? When he is, asserts he will not kill, and strangely, in this country where for several, perhaps two or three decades, thirty years or so, you have been preaching non-violence, you have been shouting it from housetops. That has been the export from this country to the West. Don't kill Ahimsa and all that tummy rot. And now you are brought together united. Somebody told me yesterday with great enthusiasm, with great pleasure, that war has united India as never before. I have been told this in several places, by several Indians. You know, this is very strange. This has happened in England, where class division is as strong as here. They slept all together in the underground. They were all terribly united through hate. Right? And these spurious arguments that you have, what will you do if you are in the government? Wouldn't you fight when you are attacked? Obviously, if you are in the government, if you are a head of a sovereign state with the army, with the you know all that paraphernalia of of uncivilized existence, you are bound to attack or to defend. There is nowadays nobody talks about being attacked or defending. You are at war, full stop. You don't justify war. Please, sirs, listen to all this. It's your life. We people have gone, we are going. So, in this country there hasn't been, in spite of this non-violence, preaching of non-killing for thousands upon thousands of years. There hasn't been one human being in this country who has said, we will not kill. There have, there have been whispering campaigns. You and I in private at least tell each other we won't kill in our rooms. But publicly we never get on a platform and say, I won't kill, go to prison. Be shocked. There hasn't been one boy or one girl, one human being who has stood up against this tree. 
And when it was popular to preach non-violence, we all swam. I didn't. We all swam at it. Now it is war is popular. You also go with it. I'm not. We're not talking of such individuals. What is a human being who says he will not kill? What is it to do? He can't do anything, can he? He either can go to prison, be shot, killed by the government because he's a rebel, he's disloyal, you know, all that words by the put out by the politicians and the religio-political entities. And why is it, please inquire into yourselves, why is it there hasn't been one human being in India, one, who said, this is wrong, killing is wrong? Not governments are Killing is wrong, but as a human being, why is it that you haven't said it? Must you be challenged? There are these various organizations created by for non-violence. Why haven't they stood up? So there is something very radically wrong in this country, when they haven't got conviction of what they believe. Right? So, nationalism is a disorder, breeds disorder, war breeds disorder. Obviously, religions also breed disorder. So a civilized man, a man who is really human, will not accept sovereign governments. You understand? That means, say, I am a Hindu. Who cares whether you are a Hindu or a Chinese or what you are? What matters is what you are, not what your labels are. So, unless you as a human being are free from all these labels, socialist, communist, capitalist, American, English, Indian, Muslim, as long as you are that, in any way, secretly or openly, you are breeding disorder in the world. And also your breeding disorder in outside and inside, when you belong to any religious group. Or follow any guru. Because the truth is not to be found by following somebody. 
by making it all easy for you to, as a pattern of doing this, following that, meditating this way, disciplining this way, you will get truth. You will never get it. To find truth you must be free. You must stand alone, swim against the current, battle. You know, I was told the other day, this war that India has had is justified because Bhagavad Gita says so. I thought thought that was rather lovely, don't you? So, so, what are you going to do about it? Not as Indians and what are you as a human being confronted with this problem, what are you going to do about it? There is poverty in this world, in this country, tremendous poverty. You know it as well as I do. And this poverty is going to increase because of this war. This lack of rains, inefficiency, corruption. The national divisions. We will accept food from one country and not from another. All politics. So as a human being, what are you going to do? Either you accept disorder and continue to live in disorder and therefore inefficiency, therefore wars, therefore poverty, therefore hunger, or as a human being you reject it totally, not partially. You can't reject something partially. You don't reject poison. Little, you reject the whole thing. And that means you have to stand alone. Therefore you'll be despised of the society. You'll be shot. Probably in this country it's not too efficient yet, fortunately. In Europe, during the last war, many were killed. A mother I know, we know, whose son, whose son, a boy of eighteen. You understand, sir? Not grown-up people like you. A boy of eighteen. He refused to go to war, killed, and he was shot. He didn't talk about non-violence, ahimsa, Gita. 
none of that. He didn't want to kill and he was killed. So seeing all this, the outer disorder and the inward disorder, merely to become a pacifist is not the answer. The answer is much deeper than all this. So, but to find that answer, one has to reject the obvious things. You can't keep the obvious things which are poisoning you and then try to seek something much deeper. You can't say, I'll have my pet guru and follow him and accept him and says what he says and meditate upon it and then try to seek an answer much deeper. It the two can't go together. So either you reject the total thing or not at all. Reject as human beings, not as a collective body, because when you become a collective body and reject, then you are merely conforming and you have support of hundred million or hundred people behind you and you wave the flag in a different way, that's all. But to stand out completely alone, that's very difficult for most people, because they're frightened of losing their job, it's, you know, all the rest of it. So, Seeing all this, this enormous disorder in ourselves and in the world, how is one to bring about not order? As we said, order will come when we understand disorder, when we cease to be nationals, when we are really seeking truth, freedom, not through some organization, through some belief, through some guru. Now what makes you, each one of us change, you understand? That is the real question. You're, what makes you, who have been nationalistic, or a tremendously devout person with regard to some uh, guru. You know, to me the word guru is poison. <coughs> and it's something ugly in human beings to follow anybody. <coughs> now, how will you drop all this? How will you drop your Hinduism? your gurus, your nationalism? How will you stand alone, not follow what everybody says? What will make us, a human being, do this? That's the real issue, you understand, sir?
What will make you divest all this at one blow, one breath, say, I'm out? Probably most of you haven't thought about all this at all. You have never said to yourself in your heart, why have I not stood up with tears in my eyes, killing some, not to kill another? Why? Why haven't you done it? Don't invent reasons. Why haven't you done it? And what will make you change? So that is the real issue. Either you say, I don't want to change, I'll accept the things as they are, that's good enough for me, that is disorder. There is misery, there is po poverty, there is starvation, there will be wars, there have been wars for the last five thousand and odd years, we'll have some more wars, what does it matter? The world is a maya anyhow, and what does it all matter? You either accept it, as most of you apparently do, Because we, human beings are, have an extraordinary capacity to adjust, do anything, to living in a small room for the sake of God, d doubled up, having one meal, tortured minds. Or to the appalling bestial conditions of war, not in Benares at the front, in Vietnam, whether they are American or Vietnamese. Human beings can adjust themselves to anything, filthy squalor of a street, open gutters, corrupt municipality, put up with anything. After all, adjustability is the difference between animals and human beings. Animals can't. Human beings care. So either we accept things as they are and go along miserably torturing ourselves, unhappy, killing and being killed, seeking fulfilment and being frustrated, wanting to be leaders, restless, unhappy, which is what we are doing. If you accept that, there is nothing more to be said. You understand? You say, that's my life, that's where I have lived, my grandfather lived, my sons will live and the generations will come that will live that way. If you accept that, that's all right. Don't introduce another problem. 
if you don't accept it as as a man of affection feels strongly who who feels this whole monstrous thing what is it to do how is he to change how is he to bring about a mutation within himself and that mutation perhaps will not or will affect the society but that is irrelevant society wants this disorder not wars but greed envy competition seeking for power position that's what society is and if you see all that and what will you how shall we change you understand my question sir how will you change The second extract is from the first talk in Ohai 1977 titled Is there security in nationalism? Most human beings in one part of their consciousness is to find both biological, physiological and as well as psychological security because you must have food clothes and shelter that's an absolute necessity but also we want we look we demand we crave we search for psychological security to be psychologically certain about everything look into yourself observe use the speaker if i may point out as a mirror the words which he is using are merely description but the description is not they described right therefore you are looking at yourself and finding out what is the innermost demand that you want that human beings want and this whole struggle in the world both psychologically as well as psych- physi- physiologically is to find security no the word security means to be to be secure your physical permanency physically to be well physically to continue advance grow whatever it is 
and psychologically, inwardly, to find security, to find something that is permanent. Because everything psychologically, if you observe very carefully, is very impermanent. Your relationship psychologically are terribly uncertain. You may be temporarily secure in your relationship with another man, woman, and all the rest of it, temporarily. But that very temporary security is the very danger of being becoming completely insecure. Do please examine it, don't accept it. We are, we are thinking over together, we are reasoning. They see the logic, the reason, the sanity of it. Not because the speaker asserts it, not because he has some beastly reputation, because all those things are irrelevant when you are really going to something very, very, very serious. So one asks, is there any security psychologically at all? That is, one has one seeks psychological security in the family. We'll go step by step into it. In the family. The family being the wife, the children. There you try to find in the wife in, in, in a relationship that will be secure, lasting, permanent, permanent being relatively, because there is always death. And not always finding it, there are divorces, quarrels, and all the misery, jealousies, anger, hatred that goes on. You must be aware of all this, aren't you? And also one tries to find security in a community, with a group of people, with a community, large or small, and tries to find security in the world and nation. I'm an American, I'm a Hindu. That gives a tremendous sense of identified with a group and therefore secure. Do please, as we said, listen to it, not reject it. There may be reason behind it, or there may not, might not, but 
a, a serious man examines, doesn't reject or accept. And so when you try to find security psychologically in a nation, and therefore that nation is different from another nation, naturally there is division. And where there is division between nations in which you have invested psychologically your security, there are wars, there are economic pressures, divisions, that's what's actually going on in the world, right? And when there, if you seek security in ideologies, communist ideology, the capitalist ideology, the religious ideologies, conclusions, images, crosses and all the rest of it all over the world, again there is division, there is division. You believe in one set of ideals which you like, which give you comfort, in which you seek security, with a group of people who believe the same kind of nonsense, and other group believe another thing, and the same thing divide. People are divided. Religions have divided people. Right? Christians, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, the you know, Baptists, and the divide. Again, they are at each other, each believing something extraordinary, romantic, which is unrealistic, unreal not factual. So, seeing all this, not as a theory, not as something to be avoided, or becoming supercilious or intellectual, or being attached emotionally, but seeing all this very clearly, one asks, is there psychological security at all? Right? You understand my question? And if there is no psychological security, then what is a human being? It becomes a chaos. Hmm? Right? He he loses his identity because he's ident- he's identified with America, he's identified with Jesus, he's identified with the Buddha, he's identified with a nation, and so on, so on, so on. When reason, logic says how absurd all this is. Then Does one go into despair, or please listen to me? Or because you have observed 
the fallacy of these divisive processes, the unreality of these fictions, myths, fantasies, which have no basis, and the very perception of that, is that not intelligence? Right? You understand? Not the intelligence of a clever, cunning mind, not the intelligence of book knowledge, but the intelligence of, which comes out of clear observation. Right? In that observation, which is which brings about extraordinary intelligence, there is security. Therefore, that means that very intelligence is secure. Uh, Capito, have you understood this? No, please. You must have it. Not agree with me or say, yes, how extraordinary. I didn't think of that before. But you, it must be part of you, it must be you that are finding it, not me that have found it and tell you. And therefore you accept it or reject it. You see the difference? As, I, as we said at the beginning, I'm not out to, the speaker is not out to convince you of anything. I'm not a propagandist. I don't want you to think as I think, because I don't think at all. <laughs> and I mean it. We'll go into that later on. Because that's an extraordinary fact. The capacity to observe without thought. Therefore, have in that observation, have a tremendous insight. And that, that insight is supreme intelligence, and that intelligence acts. Which will go when we are discussing the whole structure and the nature of thought. But as most of us will not let go, will not, are so frightened to let go of not finding security. You understand? I can let go, one can let go, being a Catholic, Protestant, Communist, all the rest of that nonsense, very easily. But when you do let go, when you Cleanse yourself of all this. Either you do it as a reaction, or you do it because you have observed intelligently, holistically, with great clarity, the absurdity, the fancies, the make-believes. And because you observe 
without any distortion, because you are you're not out to get something from it, because you are not thinking in terms of punishment and reward, because you observe very clearly, then that very clarity of perception is intelligence. In that there is extraordinary security. Not that you become secure, that but intelligence is secure. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Sanan, 1983, titled Nationalism is Glorified Tribalism. So what is peace? And how can we establish and lay the foundation so that we build on that? Psychologically speak, you understand, sirs. We are talking over together. I am not pointing out. The speaker is not the authority, but in talking over together. Things become very clear. If we can talk over together without any bias, without any prejudice, having no conclusions or concepts what peace is, then we can go into it together. But if you have opinions, about peace, what peace should be, then your inquiry stops. Opinions have no value, though the whole world is run on opinions. Opinions are limited. Your opinion or the speaker's opinion Opinions of the totalitarian governments, or the opinions of the church people and government, and so on—they're <coughs> all limited. Your judge, your judgment, and the opinion of which val- which gives values are all limited. I hope we understand the word what it means to be limited. When you think about yourself from morning till night, as most people do, it's very, very limited. When you say you are Swiss, it's very limited. (coughs) Or when you are proud to be a British, as though you are God's chosen people, that too is limited. So, (coughs) opinions are limited. And when one sees that clearly, 
when one does not cling to opinions or the values that opinions have created. Because then your opinion against another opinion doesn't bring about peace. That's what is happening in the world. One ideology against another ideology, the communist, socialist, the democrat and so on. So please understand, if I may repeat again, that we are talking over together and if you are adhering to your opinion and I am sticking to mine, then we shall never meet. So there must be freedom from opinions and its values. Is that clear? <coughs> Can we go on from there? That you are actually not holding back your opinions and use, and use them as access to beat each other, to kill each other, but opinions are have are limited and therefore they must inevitably bring about conflict. If you hold on to your conclusions and your conclusions are also limited, another <coughs> holds his conclusions, his experience, which are always limited, then there must be not only conflict, wars, destruction and all the rest of it. If you see that very clearly, then opinions become very, very superficial and have no meaning. So please, when you are inquiring into what is peace and whether we can live in peace, don't have opinions about it. Be free to inquire and in that inquiry act. The very inquiry is action, not that you inquire first and then act, but in the process of inquiry you are acting. I hope again this is clear that there must be freedom, which is the very basis of peace. There must be freedom from all the values of opinions, so that we can together, actually not theoretically, but factually, that you and the speaker have no opinions, which is a tremendous demand, because we live on opinions. All the newspapers, magazines, books are based on opinions. Somebody says that you agree and that's your opinion too. Another reads another book and forms an opinion. So please, to find out 
the true meaning of peace and the depth of it and the beauty of it and the quality of it. There must be no bars. Obviously, that's the first demand. Not that you must have faith in peace or make your life, the goal of your life to live peacefully or search out from books, from others, what is peace, but to inquire very deeply whether your whole being can live in peace. Action is not separate from perception. When you see something to be true, that very perception is action, not that you perceive or understand and then act. That's an intellectual concept and you put that concept into action. The seeing is the action. The seeing that the world is broken up into tribalism, the British, the German, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Swiss, there are tribes. To see that fact that there are tribes glorified as nations, and this tribalism is creating havoc in the world, bringing wars in the world. Each tribe has thinks its own culture, opposed to other cultures. But tribalism is the root not the culture. <coughs> so, in observing that, the fact of that is the action which frees the brain from the condition of tribalism. Is that clear? <coughs> Are we making this clear between ourselves? that when you see actually, not theoretically or as ideationally, but as a fact, that tribalism, which has had certain benefits in it, but <coughs> the very fact that it exists as glorified nation, is one of the causes of war. That's a fact. There are the causes of war. Economics and so on. We won't. One of the causes is tribalism. When you see that, 
perceive that and that cannot bring about peace, the very perception frees the brain from its condition of tribalism. We are together in this, we are talking over together. (coughs) The speaker is not persuading you, he is not trying to convince you of anything, he is not doing propaganda of any kind, but we are facing things as they are. Head on. And one of the factors of contention throughout the world is religion. You are a Catholic, I am an Arab, Muslim, and so on. Based on ideas, propaganda of two thousand years, and the Hindus and the Buddhists over three to five thousand years, we have been programmed like a computer. Please see the fact that programming has brought about great architecture, great pictures, great charms, music, but it has not brought about peace to mankind. When you see the fact of that, you do not belong to any religion, you are neither a Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, nothing. No, when you see that the division takes place when there are half a dozen gurus in the same place, you know what they are doing, don't you? They bring about misery, contradiction, conflict. Your guru is better than mine. My group is more sanctified than yours. I have been initiated, you have not. And all that nonsense that goes on. So when you see all this as an actual fact which is so around you, when you do not belong to any group, to any guru, to any religion, to any political commitment of ideas. This is very serious. If you really want to, and the urgency to live peacefully, there must be freedom from all this. Because they are the causes of dissension, division. Truth is not yours or mine. It doesn't belong to any church, to any group, to any religion. 
brain must be free to discover it. And peace can only exist when there is freedom from this fallacy. Are we together so far? Even intellectually? You know, for most of us, <coughs> to be so drastic about things is very difficult, because we have taken security in things of illusion, in, in things that are not facts. And it's very difficult to let them go. It's not a matter of exercising will or taking a decision. I will not belong to anything. That's that's another fallacy. We are commit ourselves to something, to a group, to an idea, to a religious quackism, because we think there is some kind of security for us. And in all these things there is no security, and therefore there is no peace. (coughs) The brain must be secure, and the brain with its thought has sought security in things that are illusory. Right? So, freedom from that. Can you do it? Are you serious enough to want or crave to demand that one must live in peace. Oh, only this morning, persuaded perhaps by the speaker, see, yes, that I understand all that, but, 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 but. So when we are talking over together <coughs> as two friends, and that's what is taking place as two friends. Though you are many, we are two we are friends, you and the speaker. And as two friends who are not persuading or dissuading, nor not asking each other to commit to something or other. They are not then friends. As two friends, asking each other, is it possible that one live peacefully for the entire existence of one's life? 
not at odd moments, not when you have nothing to do and you are captured by the tube, by the box, by the television. Those are all superficial relaxations. <coughs> but to live without a single conflict, without a single problem, 